from 1976 then there's Gloria Jones with the self-penned and original version of I Ain't Going Nowhere which became a huge hit for Junior Walker and live on the line from Sierra Leone is the lady herself Gloria welcome to England lovely to have met you at Skegness Northern Soul Weekender how's your day going well um we are opening the school we'll be opening on Saturday Right. We what started school? with the registration. That's the Mark Bowman School of Music and Film. Oh, wow. In McKinney. I wasn't aware. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, uh, about nine years ago, Roland came to Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. So he, he liked the, the, um, the, the area very much, and he decided this is where he wanted to build a school. And um, we have our first finished CD on the school anthem about the Mark Bowman school. It mentions, if you can't read or write, you're still welcome to come, and we will teach you. Lovely. And, what, what, uh, what age groups are you uh, at? We're starting uh, at the ages of 7 mm-hmm. to uh, 24 years. Wow. And we have, uh, have several students that are now film producers and uh, are traveling all over uh, the continent of Africa. Excellent. How do you get your funding for that? The family. It's Roland, his brother, and my grandson, Walter Thurman Third. Wow. My grandson is our director uh-huh. of the project, and we have association with the Light of Love charity in the UK. Right. And... We've been very fortunate to <laughs> to survive. How I don't know, but it's free, and all of the instructors are volunteer, beautiful helpers. And the reason Roman was concerned is that when he came over, he was talking to some young people, and they told him, "Can you help us? We would love to learn music." Mm. And uh, we started with nine students who at that time were in high school, who continued on to graduate. One uh, finished in the field of civil engineering. Wow. The other gentleman has his own construction company. But what is so exciting is that when you meet them, they tell you that they can read music and play a guitar. Excellent. And, you know, they speak of Mark as if they have known him a hundred years, but that's Mark's spirit, you yeah. see. Lovely. So, do they have a website? Where can people um, read more about yes. it and perhaps contribute? W, yes, www.markbolandschool. So, there you go. Check out the markbolandschool.com. Great website showcasing an institution that's doing some great work. You see, that's another facet of you that I wasn't aware of before, um, before today. I mean, you're a singer, songwriter, pianist, actress. There's no end. <laughs> All that as well as being a Motown recording artist. This is the title track from your uh, album released on Motown, and you co-wrote it. This is Stay With Me. How was was Skegness for you? Oh, I must tell you that I felt at home. I, I... enjoyed the uh, ambience of people who love what they are doing and how they are living and now they're exposing their children to soul music 
you know, if we did not have the northern soul, we would not even have this awareness and this opportunity at this age. Brenda Holloway, Chris Clark, we are three girls who were at the same place at the same right time, time with Mr. Barry Gordy, yeah, you know? Absolutely. And to think that 40-some years later, we were in Skagness performing and meeting people who who actually were touched by our music and we touch their lives. Well, that's right. The thing is about music, it's an association with an event. It might be uh, the record that was playing when the child was born, when they broke up from the sweetheart. And these, these things are like milestones that stay with people and associate with the memories through the lives. So it might, it might be for the, for the actor, of, uh, not the actor, the, uh, the songwriter or the performer. Yeah, yeah, I did that gig and then I moved on to something else. But what they've left behind is something that's touched somebody. Um, oh, and especially for me to sit there and all of a sudden I hear, no one can love you more, my baby, oh, by that, Gladys Knight. That and I'm like, is my most favorite song <laughs> ever. No one can love you more, my baby. That's another thing. I didn't realize that you'd, you'd written that. But, uh, I mean, there, there's, there's music. I've always been a musical person. There's music you can sort of, like, hum along to. There's some you tap your toe to. There's some that makes you sit up and listen. And then there's some that just reach inside and grab you. And for me, no one could love you more. And to think it only came out as a B-side and then only in the UK. I bet Gladys doesn't even remember doesn't recording even it. remember. <laughs> Do you remember writing it, though? Yes. Uh, Pam Sawyer. Yeah. Pam Sawyer is, was born in Rumford, Essex. Okay. And uh, she married a American producer. They moved to America, and she was a housewife. Yeah. But she always loved poetry, and uh, her husband gave her permission to write music. Right. And um, so Pam and I were were just a natural. I can remember the day I met her in the Motown office uh, on the West Coast. Yeah. I went there for a meeting with Hal Davis, and mm -hmm. Hal Davis said, could you please wait? And I said, no problem. So I went over to the music room, and I was just playing around on the piano. In walks this tall, gorgeous, blonde, you know, with a, a diamond ring bigger than uh, a marble. Right. <laughs> and and she says, I'm Pam Sawyer. Oh, Pam Sawyer, oh, yeah. Very nice. Yes, very nice meeting you. And she said, I really like your feel. And so she said, are you a writer? And at the time, uh, in those days, you could only be one or the other, either a songwriter or a singer. To be both was unheard of until Stevie, you know, they noticed Stevie and Smokey. Mm -hmm. These people made, they opened the door for us. So anyway, she liked my feel. So she said, can I come over to your place? I told her, no problem. And the magic that she and I had, we would write 10 songs a day and wow. they were all good. Wow. <laughs> but coming back to your question about no one can love you more, my baby. Mm -hmm. Motown was moving from Detroit yes. to Los Angeles. And she and I, we were still holding on to that thump of the Motown that the foot and the bass bump, bump, bump. Mm -hmm. And so we never wanted to lose that feeling. And I'll never forget, 
I just started playing on the piano. And she says, oh, I like that. And so then she said, try this lyric. She said, try it. No one could love you more, my baby. So when I started, you know, we started off very slow. Mm -hmm. And uh, so then I said, no one could love you more, my baby. And then we went into the verse. Boom, 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 boom. Da -da, da -da, da -da. So it just went on from there. But that was really one of my favorites. I must admit, it, it, it's one. Of, it's a good song. It's a great song. And I think that I always wonder that as a songwriter, if that's not um, very a very personal insight to something that's happening at the time, because nobody can write such heart-wrenching lyrics as someone who's been there. Well, I'll tell you, I'll, I'm, I'm going to give you a story. Pamela always asks me, Gloria, how are you feeling? And I'm a romantic. So I'm, I'm always in love. I see everything in love. And at that time, I was very much in love with someone. Yeah. And I couldn't have that person. Mm -hmm. And what happened was that they were personally involved. I was personally involved with someone. But then when I met them, I was like, this, this is the person yeah. that I want, yeah. but I, I couldn't, I could not have him. So that's why you're, you're feeling this, you're saying this to me. And I never even expressed this to people. Oh, it's like and a yearning. It's one of the, it, and that's really what it was. I, I, I could never have that person. And it, it's like your first childhood crush. Yeah. And, and it was like, no one could love you more, my baby. No one could love you more better than me mm -hmm. you know it's an impossibility so pamela with that great lyric and with my heart singing out we were able to come up with that wonderful wonderful composition and um when it comes on the dance floor now here we go when it comes on the dance floor in the northern soul event everyone just jumps up yeah absolutely and i'll tell you another song mm -hmm. I can never love a better man than you. That's the sister's love. Oh, great track. Let's play that next. <laughs> of course, you wrote some, uh, I mean, My Mistake, Marvin Gaye and Dinah Ross. What a great album, yeah. uh, great album track that is. It's, um, that's doing very, very well here on the crossover scene. And Junior Walker's I Ain't Going Nowhere. That's just, yeah. a, it's a household tune. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, what's wonderful about with, with, uh, with Junior is that when he first met me, you know, here he's meeting this, this Hollywood chick, mm -hmm. you know, Pam and I, we, you know, we, we were really exotic, you know, we right. had the hair and the furs and everything. But after we convinced him, Junior, let us take you into our world. Yeah. And, I was so proud of him. He said, okay, well, if you girls think you can, you can do something for me, let's try it. Uh -huh. And he gave us that chance. And after he started working with it, working with it, and then he said, well, wait a minute, let me put my horn on. And that's what, and see, our secret was that we gave you the freedom. Right. The same that we gave to Marvin Gaye mm -hmm. with Piece of Clay. Yeah. Everybody wants someone to be their own piece of clay. I was called into the studio to record Marvin, and I, in my mind, I was like, oh, my God, because a lot of these people were not very happy. And so how do you work with an artist so that they will give you their heart? So when Marvin came in, 
it was so funny. I said, thank you so much, Mr. Gay, for coming. And he says, yes. He says, well, you know, they told me to come. I said, well, listen, you know, just like you don't want to be here, I don't either. <laughs> he just <laughs> fell out laughing. And he said, okay, let me hear the track. <laughs> right. But that was the magic of Motown. Priceless. Let's have a listen. Brilliant. What was it like working at Motown? Because uh, I know I've spoken to people who were in Detroit in the early days, and that was a real hive of industry with people working all hours. And then I've spoken to, um, like, Bonnie Pointer, telling me about time in Motown in the West Coast. And she was saying there were uh, bedrooms where you, you'd sleep over so they didn't lose out on your creativity. It was a 24-hour <laughs> machine, wasn't it? It was, because... Mr. Gordy, when he when he was a young man, he worked for the Ford Motor Company. Right. So he was used to this assembly line. That's one another song that Pam and I wrote. Right. A, assembly line for the Commodores. From the moment you're born, you're on the line, line. Yeah. Assembly line. You did Human Zoo and, for those as well, didn't you? You did Human yeah. Zoo. Yeah. Sorry. Anyway, carry on. I, I'm sorry. What did you say? I say you also wrote Human Zoo for the Commodores, didn't you? While we're on Commodores. Yes, that, that was actually Machine the gone? first. That was the first Mo West release. All right, Human Zoo. Mister Mister Gordy loved that song, mm. and with good reason too. Let's give it a spin. Great track. That was very experimental. Um, About- we were on a wave. A wave of creativity. You think about Michael and uh, you think about Bobby Taylor and mm. Frank Wilson. And Mr. Gordy allowed us to ride that wave through creativity and understanding the emotion mm. of not losing the hope of having that hit song. Because we were taught that if a person went into the store, would he choose to buy a song? Or would he choose to buy a sandwich? And so we we were we were um, uh, working on that type of situation of having hit records, and this is why the energy was there. And like Bonnie said, they they wouldn't allow you to leave because they didn't want anything to interrupt that magic that yeah. was happening. Wow. Um, so you uh, released a single on Motown, uh, as well as being a songwriter. But they made you—they um, uh, had you write under a pseudonym, didn't they? Well, what it was in those days, as I said before, you couldn't be a singer and a writer. They would say to you, "What do you want to be? You want to be a singer, or do you want to be a writer?" And I wanted to write, but I was signed under a contract to another company, so. I decided just, I said, I can't lose this opportunity so that I don't um, lose out. Yeah. I'll just use another Assuming, name. Yeah. But then things change where they said, oh, singer, singers can now be songwriters. Right. So then I was able to go back to my name. But I'll never forget in, in regards to Tainted Love. Yeah. He said, I want you to sing this song, Tainted Love. I did not like that word, Tainted. Right. And that's the song that was on the B-side 
And when the young man traded uh, his forty, his cigarette to a soldier for that forty-five, right. and took it to the social club, that's how tainted love began. What a great quirk of fate, and what an absolute anthem of a track. Mark Bowman said to me one day, he said, is that your song, Tainted Love, Gloria Jones? And I said, yeah. I said, I recorded a song, Tainted Love. Uh-huh. He says, well, up in Northern Soul, you're the queen of Northern Soul up yeah. there with this song. And I said, you're kidding. He said, no. And he's the one that actually started bringing my attention to the Northern Soul scene. As I shared in Skagness, Imagine when I was 18 years old, if I had known that that song was so popular, I could have gone to England. Yeah. And Brenda Holloway, Chris Clark, they all said the same thing. If we had known that we were loved like that, we could have come to England and who knows where our lives would have gone. Well, but we didn't know. Hindsight's a wonderful now, thing, isn't it? Yes, go right now. Um, so, I mean, you're talking about when you're 18. You actually started singing at seven years old, didn't you? Yes, yes. I, uh, my father was a minister. Okay. And uh, my mom, I'll never forget, the first uh, time that I performed, my dad asked my uncle, who was my babysitter, and he was a saxophone player. Okay. But he had to work, so he was a postman in the day and a musician at night. But he was my babysitter, and when he would go to my dad's church to practice, I would play on the chair like I was playing the piano for yeah, him. Yeah. So he told my his brother-in-law, he said, you know, your daughter is very talented. So at the age of four, my father convinced my mother to let me sing my first solo. And my mother was like, oh, she called him Elder Jones. <laughs> she said, oh, Elder Jones, she's going to embarrass us. Are you sure that she can get up there and sing? Oh, my goodness. And all they went on and on. So when my dad called me up to sing the song, Yes, Jesus Loves Me, Mm -hmm. for the Bible tells me so, the church with mouths just went open. (laughs) They were like, what? And my mom was like, she she couldn't believe it, you know. And so my father made the decision three years later for the family to move to California so that my brother and I could be in showbiz. And so at seven, I was singing, playing the piano. I started learning to play the piano, Mm -hmm. but I was singing from my father's church. And then um, at the age of 10, 11, Billy Preston, Andre Crouch, Blinky Williams, Edna Wright of the Honeycombs, Frankie Carl. Is that Frankie Carl and the Aviators? Yes. Oh, yeah. And uh, Jeannie Greenlee, we became a gospel group, and we were known as the Teenage Wonders. Right. And from there, we were performing at the churches, and uh, our whole lives was living in church. We were Mm. ministers' children, so we would go to church, and then in the afternoon, they would invite us to come and perform at the church. So that was our life. But then... Hal Davis of Motown 
and J.W. Alexander, who was Sam Cooke's manager, okay. they started hearing about all of this talent in the church. And you and did I mention, I said Billy Preston. You did, yeah. Yes. And they so they started hearing about us, and they came. And so they kept saying, well, you know, you need to join the industry. At that time, the record business, yeah. they called it. But we were like, oh, no, 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 we're preachers' children. And, oh, that's right. You know, the move over to secular music was frowned on, wasn't it? <laughs> exactly. You know, I mean, the girls, we didn't wear lipstick. We didn't wear mini skirts or, you know, I mean, we were really home fed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you caught an but album, I didn't you? you? A gospel yeah. album when you were a teenager uh, called It's a Blessing? Yeah. Yes, that was us. In fact, I was the lead singer. Mm-hmm of the song the blood right it will never lose its power i was 15 years old when i recorded that song fantastic um where does ed cobb come into this well when hal davis came and discovered us at the church Mm -hmm. he uh, invited me to come to his office he was actually at that time engaged to blinky williams right yep and so blinky you know she was always you know this is my 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 singing sister, Gloria yeah. Jones. So Al says, well, invite her up to the office. So I went up to the office, and I, uh, Ed Cobb was there. Ed Cobb had just recorded the song, Every Little Bit Hurts, for Brenda Holloway. Right. And um, so uh, Ed said he had heard about me, and he heard that I had this wonderful voice. And so he played Heartbeat. Standout track. Really put you on the map. Let's give it a play. I didn't know that Billy Preston had recorded Heartbeat as an instrumental. Okay. And so here is my best friend, Billy Preston. All of a sudden, here I am, Gloria Jones, singing the lyrics to this track. So he and Ed, they couldn't make a deal. So he ended up uh, asking me if I would sing the song Heartbeat, which I didn't know Billy had recorded before. And that is where Ed and I, we began our uh, union as singer and songwriter. Um, so you released an LP on uh, Uptown called Come Go With Me in 1966. And uh, shortly after yeah. you left the label, what happened there? Okay, now which, uh, spell that for me. How are you spelling that, that, that label? U- Uptown. Yeah, U-P-T-O-W-N. Yeah. Listen, <laughs> that became a subsidiary of capital. Right. But when we started out with Champion, that was subsidiary of VJ. Oh, right. Yes. And so when they, they, they took me from VJ to Uptown, they said that they were going to start a new R&B label mm-hmm. called Uptown. Right. But I was the only artist on Uptown because you, you had Motown, so they were going to compete with, with Motown. And I was the only artist on Uptown because right. in our stable was the Sandales, uh, Steppenwolf. All right. 
Three Dog Night. Yeah. Three Dog Night, they were all individual singers, and then they compiled them into becoming a group. Oh, see. All right. Um, tell me about Gone With The Wind Is My Love. Word around the campfire is you did the original version. Yeah. Well, you know, I, you have to excuse me. I get tickled because Ed Cobb and Lou Barato right. were going to make a business deal with the Tierras. Uh-huh. But Ed didn't want the Tierras to do the lead. We're gone with the wind is my love. Mm-hmm. So Ed said, Lou, have Gloria to come down to the studio and let me hear her sing this song and then come back and let's see if we can make a deal. So I go into the studio and Lou is a very, very strict producer. I mean, he wants everything exact to his writing. Yeah. So that's why I had to find a new Gloria Jones in singing that song. Right. So we finished the song. Lou met with Ed. Ed says, I don't want the single on the Tierras. I want the song on Gloria Jones. Mm -hmm. Well, Lou was very dedicated to the Tierras because they had been with him through a long period and they were loyal to him. And they couldn't make the deal. So, Lou, after, what is that, close to 45 years later? Yeah. Lou goes to an engineer who said he had a lot of Lou's tapes in his garage. And he says, well, I'm looking for Gone with the Wind is My Love by the Tierras. Uh-huh. So the man said, well, I don't have Gone with the Wind by the Tierras, but I have Gone with the Wind is My Love by Gloria Jones. Mm -hmm. And that's how he found it. Right. I'm not sure that actually saw release, did it? Was it you were under contract and so the record was pulled and Rita Graham put the vocals on the, the release version? Yes. Yes, that's the reason. And so my version was in this gentleman's garage for 40 some years. Yeah. Wow. And and you know, I'll never forget, I saw Rita one day at the market. Right. And she was like, oh, she said, I just returned from England, you know, and she was like doing a lot of tours over there because the song was actually happening yeah. for her. Yeah, yeah. And lo and behold, I had no idea. And... She kept trying to mention to me about the song, mention to me about the song. And I had no idea that this was the song she was talking about. Right. So there, uh, Rita did very well there. Yes. She did. She did uh, she, I think it was a hit record for her. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was on the Northern Soul scene anyway. It sold very well. Um, as did, your, did yours when it came out on a limited press just uh, uh, four or five years ago, I'm sure. And I was fortunate enough to get myself a copy. Uh, this is the original version, the unreleased version of Gone With The Wind Is My Love. Oh, 
from 1968 then there's a tune called look what you started one of two 45s you brought out on uh, the minute label they were a new orleans outfit weren't they that's a far cry from la how did that come about okay that was actually that was with Dallas smith uh he was at liberty and the only other r&b act was i can team the turner all right and uh, so we came out on Minute, um, and because they wanted to build, they were all trying to build an R and B label, yeah. Uh, because Motown was so powerful, you mm. know, it was getting bigger and bigger. So the, all of the larger companies started trying to come out with um, uh, R and B labels. And Minute, that album, I've never, I haven't seen any copies of that album. I wasn't aware there was an album on Minute. I saw there were uh, singles, forty fives. I wasn't aware there was an LP out on Minute. But they never released the LP. Ah, right, yeah. That'll be it then. But, I, you know, I'm going to look into that. I would like to find out. Well, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. That could be a little goldmine because if you do get your hands on a copy of those masters, um, the market is really hungry for previously unreleased late 60s and early 70s stuff crossing Europe. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, yeah. So you need, you need to be putting some energy into that. Um, how did you get into acting? You started doing stage musicals, didn't you, in around 68? You joined the cast of Catch yes. My Soul. What took you to the stage? Yes. Well, Jack Good of Ready, Steady, Go. All right. Jack Good was the producer and director of Catch My Soul. He wanted Tina Turner, right. but I didn't want Tina to, to go on stage because they, they were, you know, hot as the I yeah. Tina Turner review. And so they said, well, Gloria Jones is in California. Well, quite naturally, he knew me from Heartbeat. Because I had performed on Shindig, and he was, you know, producing music shows here. And I said, now, how do I come up to Tina Turner, you know? <laughs> so I did a monologue of Funky Broadway. All right. And I took that monologue from Sunset Strip all the way to 54th Street and Broadway, which is where all of the black people would go. That mm-hmm. was kind of like their juke joint. Okay. And, and, and Jack loved it. So I got the role. Jack put me on stage. And I didn't even know how to professionally make stage makeup. So one night I decided to wear all of I'll never forget, wore all of this eye shadow. And Jack wrote his notes after you you finished that night of performing. Yeah. He said, your eyes look like moons. Right. <laughs> and I told him, oh, I said, thank you for telling me because I had no idea. <laughs> so on the theater then, it was uh, as a, uh, during your uh, time as a part of the casting hair, uh, that famous musical from the early 70s that you met Mark Bolan. I'd just like to play a really soulful track that you did with Mark. This is called Tell Me Now. So, tell me how you met Mark. Yes, well, in 1968, Mark was traveling in the United States as uh, Tyrannosaurus Rex, yep. with he and Steve took, and uh, they were at the... Uh, Total Experience is where Jimi Hendrix, Janice, um, this was on Sunset uh-huh. Boulevard, and Joe Bryant, who is a friend of Macy's, of GTO's, mm-hmm. um, Joe Bryant said, Gloria, you have to go to Macy's party tonight. She has 
this um, English group, Mark Bowen, and you've got to come. And I was like, Jabrias, I said, you know, I don't go to those parties and I, I don't really think, the, I, I don't know if I should go there. And oh, I went on and on. He said, please come. And do you know, I went and I was playing the piano singing uh-huh. and Mark walked in and he had on that blue satin cape <laughs> type uh, 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 shirt that yeah. he used to wear. And when he walked in, you could tell he was like, well, you might as well get off the piano because Mark Bowling has arrived, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so we made eye-to-eye contact, and I followed him. And I just stood next to him all that night. We, we didn't say anything, but I just stood there. So yeah. I stood next to him, and, and then he got ready to leave, and he left, and I never saw him again. And then uh, we came over for the Joe Cocker European tour. Uh-huh. So that night we went to the speakeasy because we were leaving to return to America. Uh-huh. And there was a white Rolls Royce outside and that was Mark's Rose. And so we went into the club and uh, Mark was having a meeting with Elton John, who they called Reg at that time. Well, that's his Christian that, name, isn't it? Reginald Dwight. Yes, yes. And um, so they were having the meeting, so Mark had left. And when he passed us coming in with Joe, he said to Joe, you better be careful that they don't rob you. (laughs) (laughs) And and we didn't know, you know, we were like, how dare that guy say that about us, you know? And they they were saying, and so he said, no, no, Mark, these are my background singers. I'm just taking them out tonight. They're going back to the States. Mm-hmm. So that was the second time that we met. Right. And I fell out laughing because I said, I always felt like Mark knew me. So then the third time was Bob Regeer of Warner Brothers. Right. Mark needed background singers for Mark. And he called me and he said, Gloria, please, you know, I need for you a couple of girls to come. And I was like, oh, Bob, I, I'm, I'm not going to go on the road anymore. I'm going to rest. I'm not going to da 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 so I decided to go, and I had Oma Drake, Julia Tillman, and Stephanie Spruill. And it was an outstanding sound. Mark just loved it. So I ended up, I, I was going to just go do the one concert in San Francisco. But then the show was so great that night, I said, oh, I can't give this up. And so yeah. we ended up uh, going on tour with Mark. And we were friends. You know, we we were good friends, but we understood what this man wanted to do. Mm-hmm. We knew that he, he had had all of the success with his earlier sound, and we knew that he wanted to go further with his sound, and that's why he was incorporating the uh, American soul sound. Right, because one of the tracks you cut as part of T-Rex, because you recorded for them uh, as well as performed, uh, was uh, a cover of Otis Redding's Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, the You on Lee vocals. Beautiful track. Yes. Your version of Sitting on the Dock of the Bay, then, from 1975, came out as the B-side to uh, T-Rex's Dreamy Lady. Uh, that you, you did quite a few soulful records for a glam rock band, didn't you? Yes, and um, and that's when he started going more and more into the R&B, mm. when we recorded that song. And, you know, now 
the market is more open because I always knew that um, the rap generation, the hip hop was yeah. going to be huge, but the record industry really had no idea that these young people were starting their own world. Right. And basically that's what it is. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Cause as well as doing uh, vocals for T-Rex, you also played keyboards, didn't you? I mean, I, yes, I played the clavinet. I wasn't yes. aware. I wasn't aware until I started researching for this interview that you've actually got an advanced classical degree on piano in music. Yes, yes. Wow. Yes, I, my mom exposed me to that world. Right. She exposed me to the classical world, and what happened was that I I was um, doing that recital for the contest in Bach and in Schumann. And so when I went before the judge, I, I started interpreting and there was one female judge and, and the, the male judges, they were so starched and they were like, oh, get her out of here. And the female said, no. She said, no, I want her to come and I want her to play for us. Yeah. And that lady insisted on me playing and do you know that I was the highest score 97 I was offered a scholarship to Eastman School of Music wow and at, at that time I was playing the piano for my father at his church and I asked mom I said mom do you think dad will let me go and she said well I don't know she said you're going to have to ask your father and see, this is in the early 60s. Mm. My dad was already 65 years of age. And so here I am, this young girl, 18 years old, offered this scholarship. And my dad looks at me and he says, well, who's going to play the piano for my church? <laughs> and being an obedient child, yeah. I said, okay, dad. And gave that opportunity up. Ah, lovely. <laughs> but it's okay, because going to Motown was just like going to the Eastman School. <laughs> yeah. So, um, I mean, touring with, um, with T-Rex, as you were, and recording with T-Rex, uh, you actually came to Newark, didn't you, in 1972, was it, 73? Yes, yes. I believe it was 73. Ah, lovely little town. And, yes. And, and that was where one girl had a pair of scissors, and she cut the front of Mark's curl. <laughs> oh, I see. Yeah, that sounds about oh, right. Oh, my goodness. And, and he got a black eye because one of the fans, the girls, they dragged him. They loved him so much. And he, and he, he said, I love, he said, I love that town. Well, so. <laughs> I, I will say it's one of my earliest memories. I mean, I was only five at the time, but I know that Mark Boland was an absolute phenomenon. Um, he was oh, just yeah. everywhere. He was so, so big. Bless him. Um, Sadly, of course, um, there was a car accident and Mark didn't survive. You were pretty uh, uh, badly injured as well. Um, and that brought that era of your life to a, a big a big close, didn't it? Apart from you were blessed with a son, Roland. Yes, um, I was blessed with Roland. And I, Mark actually came to me in spirit yeah. many times to encourage me to go on. You know, we never know what our destiny is no. or where our, our lives will lead. But um, 
you you just have to have faith in what you believe. And now here he has a whole new legacy in Sierra Leone. Yeah. Where you have children and adults walking around talking about the Mark Bolin School yeah. and are honored to be speaking about the Mark Bolin School. Oh, that's right. His memory will live on forever, won't it? And, and some great work yes. in his legacy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You went uh, back to the US and uh, back into the recording yes. studio for EMI, didn't you? Re- released an LP called Vixen? Yes, yes. Um, um, now, Vixen was with Mark. Oh, right. Uh, yeah, what, what came after Mark uh, when I went back in the studio was the one Windstorm. Oh, right. Yes, I see. Uh, yes, Windstorm. That was on Sidewalk uh, label, wasn't it? Same label as Gonzalez. Yes, yes. In fact, you wrote, didn't you? You wrote Gonzalez's Haven't Stopped Dancing Yet. That really is a great track. Let's give it a play. has wrote that and produced it yeah and uh my brother richard richard jones right. uh came over mark invited him to come over uh sidewalk uh, uh label was going to be the r&b label for emi and actually they were going to give that label to mark oh, right. but uh, yeah but as i said before you know um the song came out Big hit, Gonzalez. I'm not sure if if they liked the song at first because they were kind of a jazz band, but it was the biggest hit for them. Yeah, yeah. So and and well, Mark, see what I love is that Mark was so instrumental in all of those projects because he would come to Scorpio Studios to see how things were going, and he would give me suggestions. Yeah, especially for that song and for. Having, um, and for Bring on the Love. All right. My favourite track on the album is Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Don't Say Goodbye. What a beautiful tune. Oh, my brother wrote that song. Did they? I love that song. That's great. Thank you. From the 1978 LP Windstorm, there's... Uh, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Kiss Me, Don't Say Goodbye. Lots of great tracks on that album. And, you know, I want to thank you because I really did enjoy recording that album. It was, it was a new change for me. Yeah. A new, a new change, a new sound. But the, uh, when you tell me that that's one of your favorites, mm. aw, Don't Lovely Say record. Goodbye, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so that was 1978. Um, you hooked up again with Ed Cobb, didn't you, in 1981 for uh, another project, Reunited? Yes, Reunited. And I think what happened, I, I always had uh, a difficulties getting the right place at the right time with Ed. We recorded that album, and then ABI went out of business. Right. And we sold to Universal. So when Universal acquired that catalog, they I called the accountant and I said to her, I said, I, I hear that you bought AVI. She said, yes. I said, well, what are you going to do with my product? And she was like, it, it was just going to sit there. I was like, you know, it's just 
And thank you. This inspires me that when I go back to the States, I'm going to go around and try to find out, can I get these masters or how do we do this? You know, great because they're just sitting up there. Yeah. And I know that we have an audience and this is what Chris Clark and Brenda Holloway and I were talking about. Mm. What do we do? to get this product out because the companies, they don't want to release unless they think they're going to make a million dollars, but that's not fair. No, no, it's not. Well, that's, that's, I'm afraid accountants from the music industry nowadays, don't they? Not, uh, not musicians and artists. So, I mean, trying to get music out of or masters out of great corporations like, uh, like Motown, like CBS, you know, they're, they're not interested because they don't want to, they want to channel the manpower in something productive, but the earlier stuff, uh, on the private labels, um, that's that's not too difficult to get hold of if you can find the people who've still got them hidden in their wardrobe somewhere. We're going to do something. We we can do this. We yeah. can we can definitely have something really really fantastic here. Lovely. So um, I was going to say, oh, on that reunited album, there's a lovely cover of uh, Sandy Wynn's "Touch of Venus" remastering one of those great '60s tracks there. You're kidding. I didn't know that. Yeah. Let's have a quick reminder. Taken from your 1982 LP reunited then, there's your version of Sandy Wynn's Touch of Venus. Um, And then you went back into gospel then, hooked up again with Billy Preston and the the Kojic singers. Yes, we hooked up with Billy, Blinky Williams. Yeah, of course, uh, Blinky's next Motown uh, star, isn't she? Uh, yes, and um, Frankie Carl. Mm-hmm. And, and, and after that, um, you were featured in a film, weren't you? Like a documentary, 20 Feet from Stardom. I, you will not believe I was on my way <laughs> to the airport. Right. And I got a phone call, and they said, Gloria, you have to come by. They gave me the address. He said, just come by and do this interview for us. I said, but I'm on the way to the airport. They said, well, how much time do you have? I said, I have a few hours before I catch the plane. Yeah. They said, please come. Because Gil Friesen, the producer, he and I, Darlene, Edna, Billy Preston, we were all young kids at yeah. Capitol together. And he used to drive Nat King Cole. And he was this young, gorgeous guy that was going to UCLA and was learning the record industry. He ended up going to A&M Records, okay. where he was a big executive there. And he was a producer for this documentary. And I stopped by, and after I started uh, doing the interview, just like what I'm doing with you, I started speaking from my heart. And I told the director, when I finished, I said, you're going to win an Oscar. <laughs> and he just looked at me. Uh, and the reason I say that is because everyone on there gave their heart and gave the truth, and the truth wasn't mean. It was just reality of how the industry worked at that time. And what they liked about the part I gave them was that when we were coming up in the 60s, they wanted everything pop and soft and yeah. easy and not to torch, you know, hard singing. Yeah. And all of a sudden you have the uh, rock and roll musicians coming out of England, coming into America. And the first thing they want was soul singers. And so 
they let us go. They they didn't hold us back and say, oh, you've got to sound like this or that. They let us be free and they let us go. Right. And and that and we won that Oscar and I was here <laughs> in the bush in Africa on the internet going into town watching the nominations and how many would you know the yeah. first draw of it and I kept watching and I said we're going to win this Oscar fantastic and my friends came from Switzerland we all flew over together and when we got there I was too shy to go to the company and tell them, give us tickets for the party or something. <laughs> I was too shy. And so we ended up going to the biggest party, James Cameron, because the driver, the limousine driver, told the other limousine driver, I'm driving Gloria Jones, who just won an Oscar. So they just followed, we followed them and went straight through the gate. Brilliant. And for anyone who's not aware, the, the film, it's an Oscar winner. It's called 20 Feet from Stardom, directed by Morgan Neville. And it's uh, all about the backing singers. You know the voices, but you don't necessarily know the names. It really is compelling viewing. And uh, throughout your career, you've been doing backing vocals. You found time to do backing vocals for people like Ry Cooder and Neil Young, Buffy Saint-Marie, Roy Ayers, Joe Cocker and Ketty Lester on this lovely track. This is her version of Joe Tex's Show Me with you on backing vocals. Right, so um, what's next for Gloria? I mean, you've got uh, a lot of unreleased material we're going to see if we can deal with. Uh, have you got any more plans to perform? Yes, um, in fact, I, I want to work on, uh, and I'm going to start writing, I want to work on The Queen of Northern Soul. Right. Gloria Jones. An autobiography. And I, yes, yes. And, and the reason that I want to do this is because I feel that it is my duty, and Brenda Holloway, Chris Clark, they, they will all come, and we want to come and travel and do pubs. We don't have to just come once a year for a big event. Mm -hmm. We want to keep this momentum. So if we can do some pub tours, yeah. we'll come and well, do pub tours. So it would be lovely to come to your area Well, I have mean, another young. You'll be very oh, well received because uh, I know that Tommy Hunt has been living here since the early 70s and he's been doing the, the bar circuit uh, to, well, you know, sell out audiences. Yeah. always got an appreciative following. And um, I think from a book point of view, I think it's really important that you get your life down in words. Oh, but, thank you. Uh, because you've had such an in influential and uh, interesting life. It, it'd just be wrong for that to be forgotten. Uh, but as far as um, personal appearances, you've got a big fan base in uh, in the UK and Europe. Yes. So Brenda and Chris, they said that they will work because um, they will donate some of that proceeds to, to the children here for the school Lovely. because we really want to build a school. Right now they're using one of my houses for um, the temporary building. Yeah. And because um, I want to make that place where they have the temporary uh, school uh, a museum, uh, excuse me, a soul museum. Uh -huh. And so that's just the, uh, and then we it would be soul and the northern soul and 
the Edna Wrights, the Sandy Wins, you know, mm-hmm. Billy Preston's, so that that they their legacy will live on as well as we have the um, rock because yeah. we have Mark, yeah. and then we would have the elements of the rock and roll world just to give them a museum that they will have something. Yes, quite you right. know, you really are doing some great work improving the lives of those children. When I was ten years of age. I knew that I wanted to come to Africa to help the children and to help the less fortunate. Lovely. I I had no idea that how I came was as an agent for the spinners in South Africa. Oh, right. Didn't know that. Yes. Yes. And that's how I came to Africa. And then when I, when I arrived, I saw the conditions and I saw I had one business person to tell me, Roya, you have to help the children. Mm. I thought he meant five children. I didn't know he meant the continent of Africa. <laughs> yeah. So I, yeah, I've been fortunate to have sponsored uh, over over fifteen hundred children. Some I know, wow. and some I don't know. I've said uh, populations of the poor, and it's from my heart, and, and I go without, you know, I go without the manicure, the pedicures, not living in luxury, and, and but it, it, for me, you saw how I look, and I'm, I'm complete, yeah. you know? Yeah, it's, it's so, when you, when you can actually make a difference to someone's life, it's, it's very rewarding, isn't it? It is. Yeah. Excellent. Well, it sounds like you've got your hands full and a busy schedule ahead. So I wish you all the best for that, Gloria. (laughs) Thank you. And I hope you, we can invite you to Sierra Leone one day. Oh, that'd be nice. I don't currently have a passport, but that'd be nice. (laughs) It'd be be nice to see a little (laughs) bit of sunshine. (laughs) But you know what I want? I'm going to come back. uh, I'm going to come back in that area, hopefully around... uh, March or April or May. So let's plan. Excellent. Yeah, drop me a I line. Possibly, I'll take your sightseeing. You know, exactly. <laughs> Excellent. Right. Thank you very much for taking the time to uh, give me this interview. It was a pleasure meeting you at Skegness, and I look forward to um, <laughs> being your chauffeur when you come back in spring next year. Until then, good night. Thank you, dear. Bye. Bye bye. Right, I'm going to play out now with a great track that you wrote along with Pam Sawyer while at Motown for Dinah Ross and Marvin Gaye. Personal favourite of mine, this taken from the 1973 LP, Diana and Marvin. This is my mistake. 